so much, Stephen, uh, Foster, and Chuck Pillar, for you guys' time today. Thank you so much, Terry, for having us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. Um, the movie uh, Driverless, I'm kind of curious what went behind uh, creating that film. Yeah. I, uh, I've always loved road movies. That's the first thing. Uh, I have always been a, a, a big fan of um, kind of that strange style of movie that was sort of before my time, actually. But, uh, but I would catch a lot of these things on television when I was young because they would, would replay movies that had been in the theater. Um, uh, going all the way back to, um, there's a movie called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World just kind of a rude road movie and kind of just a broad comedy. Uh, but I, I, I just, m many, many years ago when driverless cars kind of first were coming out, uh, it's, or maybe not first coming out, but, but first kind of finding their way into the um, mainstream media. Uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's going to change what I love about driving so much. Um, I, I, ride a motorcycle for one thing and 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 also i just love driving so uh i think that's what made me think uh gosh driverless cars that would be at the end of the road movie and then i thought well now wait a minute couldn't there be a road movie with driverless cars uh and so that's what um that that was the the, the germ of the idea uh and um i talked to steven about it way back then and uh eventually um, wrote a script quite some time ago. Uh, and uh, it was um, just before the pandemic that we decided to uh, try to make this one. So, Stephen, what about the uh, project that seems so appealing to you that made you want to jump on board with the film? Well, I love the concept of... Uh, driverless cars uh, and Chuck showed me the script and of course it was it was hysterical and we had uh, already made a screwball comedy called That's Opportunity Knocking um, which we uh, won 24 awards for and it um, and we're now on Amazon uh, and I sort of liked the theme of corporate America gone awry uh, because I've had many, many corporate jobs, and uh, I love the idea of this character being hoisted into this environment where no one has any control uh, except for the big money. And I love that theme of uh, of a rich, rich versus poor. Um, the middle class dying and the uber rich and the extremely uh, downtrodden character like I play Glenn. So the whole concept of screwball comedy uh, and the way Chuck writes and his characters, they always appeal to me. And Chuck always gives me, as an actor, wonderful things to play. That's awesome. Uh what got you guys both into uh, acting? Because I saw that Chuck uh, was also a character in Driverless. So what got you guys to want to act? Gosh, uh, I started acting back in high school. Uh, my sophomore year, I uh, think I went in for the very first play tryout. And I was in that first play of the year. And I think I was in every play from then on at high school, we did about four plays a year and I was just in every play. If there was a play going, I was there uh, on top of speech team and uh, group interpretation and contest plays and whatever else I could get into. I just really caught the bug. I really loved it. Uh, and I'm also a, um, a singer. Uh, so I've, as a, when I um, later went into professional theater, I actually first went into uh, teaching uh, and uh, I w went into music teaching and then I eventually took over the theater department at the um, school that I taught. And uh, I did a lot of directing at that point in time. And then when I left there, I started um, directing uh, and, and acting professionally when I could. And usually that was in musicals 
because you get paid for musicals way uh, more often than you get paid for being in a straight play. I guess musicals just make more money. Uh, so that's um, how I got into acting and, and that's how I've continued to do it my whole life. What about you, Stephen? Well, I got into acting, I stumbled into acting uh, in, an, in ninth grade. I took a, a stagecraft class, a stagecraft class, which was the sort of advanced class for backstage of theater. And in that class, we had to learn all the elements of, uh, of theater, uh, publicity. My first job in, uh, in theater was publicity, but we did all the behind the scenes, but we also had to act. That was part of our class. So everybody had to do everything in the class. It was sort of comprehensive, um, advanced, acting class and I didn't know it at the time and so I was sort of forced into this situation and I loved it and what I loved about the class is our teacher made us sign a contract for our grade and our grade was based on our performance not our live performance but our performance in how much work we did and that really appealed to me and I was like wow this is the first time you can get graded on your actual performance in the class. And so I really took the theater and the whole ball of wax. Okay. And then at what point did you uh, want to write that your uh, book, Awakening the Actor Within, I think is what it's called? Uh, the book is called Awakening the Actor Within. That is correct. And I decided to write that book. Um, I was influenced by a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is a book about unblocking your creativity. And I, um, I was a blocked actor. That means I, I, I was stuck. I wasn't acting. And that's because in college, I was not being cast in stuff. Um, I was really good, but they wouldn't cast me. And I blocked. And so that means I wasn't acting and I moved to Los Angeles and I read a book called The Artist's Way and I unblocked. And as I unblocked as an actor, I realized that I had many, many challenges that pertain to just the acting craft. And so I wrote a book about unblocking for actors and keeping actors on track and uh, giving them tasks and things to do to keep themselves uh, up to snuff if they ever felt discouraged or they couldn't go on as an actor. My book is sort of a, uh, it's sort of a mix of the artist way and like a regular acting book, a how-to acting book for actors. So the seed of that happened because I, I was blocked as an actor and then I became unblocked as an actor. And now I hear, here I am um, acting in movies so you know my my book I guess it works for me and it's worked for a lot of other people too that's awesome Chuck uh, were you always more into music than you were into theater or did you like them both just about the same gosh that's a great question I would say both about the same like tracing all the way back to uh, as I said high school uh I, you know, I probably spent more time on the theater projects just because you had to memorize all your lines. I just remember being up um, till me all night <laughs> so, so often because you'd have a paper to write and then you'd also have to memorize your lines for the Dyer Van Frank or um, uh, Misanthrope or whatever you were in. And, um, uh, so I remember more of that, um, but I've always been really interested in music and I actually have played in rock bands and I've written a couple musicals, um, four musicals actually, uh, and um, one musical that Steve and I wrote together called The Green Room. Uh, but so, I, I, but, but a musical, you know, obviously is a theatrical piece. So uh, I guess I've, I guess I've always more, been more more drawn to theater but my father was a barroom piano player I'd be played by ear so 
I grew up with music in the house um, and uh, I've always loved music. Okay. Um, it's back to the uh, music. Do you, uh, do you only write comedy songs or what kind of music do you uh, usually write? It's it's funny. I have one CD. I'm a, a singer songwriter, and I have one CD that I that I produced, which I really tried hard to do up tempo, uh, fun songs. Uh, I don't mean funny, but but um, upbeat, uh, happy songs, um, songs from a, a positive perspective, uh, and that was a difficult thing to do. That was, um, I had to go back through my collection and really find the positive, fast, upbeat songs. I realized that that's what everybody wants to hear. Uh, and as a songwriter, that's kind of what sells more often. People like, oh, don't try to sell me a ballad. Um, but how challenging that was to find that collection of music uh, was, um, I think, uh, spoke a lot for what I like to write which is I like to write a schmaltzy little ballad. I love a, I, I love a ballad. I've probably written, gosh, uh, I want to say like probably a thousand ballads in my life. I mean, I'll just sit at home and if I'm depressed or, or pensive, not even depressed, just pensive, just thinking about the world, and uh, I'll write a ballad. I'm just always writing a ballad. Uh, so it's easier for me if I'm going to write something up-tempo to write something funny. That is uh, an easier task for me for whatever reason, um, and uh, um, and I and I and I love singing funny songs. Um, and when I wrote the Green Room with Stephen, I think there were, were maybe a couple ballads, and everything else was a fast funny song. So it's easy for me to write fast funny songs, um, and it's easier it's easy for me to write ballads, but those are the two things that, that I usually write a lot of. And the strange thing is there's uh, four songs in this movie uh, that I wrote. Three of them are from that solo CD project. Just the, some of the up-tempo songs uh, from that up-tempo, uh, from that uh, solo CD project. Uh, but the other one was written originally for the movie. It's a, uh, a comedy song called Self-Driving Cars, which you can hear a snippet of at the end of the trailer. And uh, that's something that I wrote for the uh, for um, this project alone. And our last movie, that's Opportunity Knocking. I wrote a little song for that as well, a, a specific comedy song for that. Uh, and um, and that's something I, I think I probably was influenced by by two of my favorite uh, movie makers, um, Mel Brooks. And, uh, and the Monty Python gang, um, again, just sort of came onto television as I was growing up. Um, uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and the early Mel, Mel Brooks films. And the early Mel Brooks films, he wrote a lot of songs. It wasn't a musical, uh, um, but the producers and Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and History of the World, they all had songs in them that he had written and he wrote the music and the lyrics to, and he put them in the film because they belong in the film. So as he was inspired, inspired to write the film, he was always also inspired to write a few funny songs. Uh, and he's always been one of my heroes. Uh, and the Monty Python gang in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, same thing. Uh, and the, in the later Monty Python movies, they always would find a few uh, funny songs to put in the movie just because they were inspired to write that along with the, with the script. Uh, so to answer your question, um, yeah, if, if left to my own devices, the song I write will either be um, slow and pensive or fast and funny. <laughs> um, where can people listen to your uh, music? Do you have like a website you can listen to little tidbits of some of the songs? Or Yeah, well, the songs are all on all the normal places. Um, Amazon has my album. Uh, Apple Music has my album. Uh, the, I do have a website. It's chuckpelletier.com. Uh, the, uh, so it's C-H-U-C-K-P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R.com. Uh, and that has uh, 
um, access to buy the CD. You can buy a physical copy of the CD still, amazingly. Um, and it also has a, a link where you can buy the music um, on several other platforms as well, I think. Okay. Uh, Steven, are there any actors you look up to or admire? God, yeah. Uh, I, I Lately, uh, because I've been this past year working on Driverless, I've really been inspired by Christopher Guest, um, who wrote Waiting for Guffman, and uh, Eugene Levy, who uh, wrote Schitt's Creek. Uh, they wrote together, and they've been a real inspiration for me. And I was actually watching an interview with um, Christopher Guest yesterday, and he said that uh, one of his uh, biggest influences was... Um, was um, Oh God, I'm going to forget his name. <laughs> Chuck, what's his name? Peter Sellers. Yeah, Peter Sellers. And what I love about Peter Sellers is Peter Sellers would always do a character and he would vo voice himself into the character 100%. And he often played multiple characters in a movie. And I was also influenced by Carol Burnett. Uh, Tracy Ullman was a big influence for me. Gilda Radner was a huge influence on me uh, as a comic because, once again, she was someone who threw herself into a character and believed it 100%. And to me, that's a different type of acting than Will Ferrell or these other comedians who are just kind of trying to be funny. To me, it, the, the, to me the key to being funny it's 100% immersion into the character, sort of like method acting for comedy. And that was sort of my goal, was to sort of be a method actor, per se. I even hate that term, but immersing yourself so much into the comedy of the character that you're funny as the character, not funny as yourself. Okay, so... What did it look like when the camera wasn't rolling when you're trying to uh, become 100% this uh, character? Well, here's, the, here's how I do it. Chuck and I are both uh, theater people, and we rehearse everything ad nauseum before we ever get the camera rolling. So uh, as for this film, I was, a I was a producer, I was the producer, and uh, I had to do all my homework as an actor with Chuck outside of the stuff that we did to produce the movie. So all that stuff is always done in advance, and Chuck writes such great dialogue and great material that we're able to rehearse it and do it all in advance and there's no improv in in as far as i'm concerned except for when the camera's going and i'm in character and stuff comes out but everything is is done beforehand and that takes a lot of preparation so i do a lot of prep work with chuck before we ever roll that way i can throw myself into it no matter what I'm doing producer-wise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for both of you guys, what was the funniest thing that happened, you guys getting into character behind the camera? Because you have so much prep work you had to do and had to become a character. What's? I'm sure there's got to be something funny that happened behind the camera. <laughs> well, one, one of the things that happened was... Uh, uh, the um, Stephen plays uh, two characters that um, are, are in conflict in a scene uh, in which they're in a car. One of them is very stodgy. He's actually a, a Quaker. Uh, and the other is the opposite of stodgy. He's um, brash and uh, just like a grown-up kid. Uh, and so the, gr the grown-up kid, his name is Randy, the character's name is Randy, um, is in this driverless car, 
and just trying to play with the dashboard and 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 play with the knobs and uh and play he's just in yelling at people out the window so he ultimately pulls out some firecrackers and starts to throw firecrackers out the window uh to the um chagrin and horror of this quaker who simply wants to sit there and have a conversation they're thrown in by the way um in sort of a a pool like uber pool or lift pool it's that sort of a situation so they 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 end up in this driverless car in in uh, sort of a pool situation right so uh they're thrown together uh and they're opposites you know one of the 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 key components of a lot of my favorite comedies and uh as he throws the uh, uh firecrackers out the window um of course we had to actually you know do this um and to make a long story short uh at, at one point um one of the firecrackers the fuse of a firecracker fell onto my car which we were using <laughs> as a vehicle at the time and and fell onto the seat of my car uh gosh it was in between my legs on the seat of my car so it actually the fuse thank god it was just the fuse but the fuse you know how you i guess i yeah, I lit the fire because I was lighting the firecracker to give it to Steven so that he could do what he needed to do with it or something like that. And I guess I lit the, the fuse in the wrong place. The fuse fell off. The fuse was still burning on the seat of the car. Um, so it ended up, I have a, a, a pair of shorts with a hole in them. And the, my car seat has three holes where this fuse <laughs> burned a hole into it. Uh, so it was one of the casualties of the... Uh, of the moment but we we were horrified for a half a second and then just laughed we just we just laughed about it that's crazy steven did you have a um well the i also burned a hole in my pants too because of that firecracker and it was so funny because we were filming you know without a permit and we were filming in a residential section and so, yeah, you're not supposed to tell anybody this, but we were throwing them out the window and it's, and it, and things were pretty quiet. Um, and, and we were just so afraid that we were actually going to get busted by the cops because we were actually just throwing these things out the window. And then we would circle back and, and, and pick them up off the street. But we were afraid that we were going to hit a person or hit a dog because we were actually in a moving car. So, you know, we, we were, it was basically like the Keystone cops are like, throw them out the window, go pick them up and then get out of Dodge. You know, it was, it was very funny. <laughs> there was another, there was another moment, a uh, different day of filming where uh, we wanted to get an aerial shot. Uh, and again, with this low budget filmmaking. So um, my cinematographer, Lisa Stoll, agreed to, uh, at the at the we had rented um, a parking lot and then the building next to it and the building next to it served as this restaurant that we filmed on the inside of in the afternoon and in the morning we were doing some scenes in the parking lot uh, and I don't think it gives anything away to say that we just wanted a little bit of an aerial shot um, for uh, for the sequence near the end of the film and uh, Lisa got up there with her um, uh, with her first AC. Uh, and or some was it with her first AC? I think so. And she had in order to get this aerial shot, she had this tripod and her expensive camera on top of the tripod. And she had to put the tripod on the end of the building, so she had to climb up on top of the building <laughs> and 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 uh, uh, point the camera down into the parking lot at, at the actors. And in order to get the shot she wanted and and she when she wants a shot this this girl will get the shot she is like i think i can get this so literally this tripod two legs of it were i think still on the roof but i mean her and the whole rest of the tripod was literally hanging off the roof and i was sitting there going please don't do that i don't want to do anything dangerous but i don't want i was i was going please i was yelling up at her please take care of yourself i'm fine I'm fine, and I guess she was fine, but to us, she wasn't doing anything dangerous at all. And uh, she had him, and I think he had, you know, uh, a hold of her and a hold of it and everything else. And um, 
and the worst thing that could have happened is the camera could have fallen. But I mean, I don't even think that was in jeopardy because she's so careful that she made it um, absolutely safe. She kept saying, I, I've done things uh, like this many times. I'm completely in control. But from our perspective, it literally, I don't know why it was, but sometimes perspective changes things. And I think I have a, a photo of it. And it's just from the, even from the photo, it just looks so precarious. So there we all are going, okay, let's shoot this scene. <laughs> How did you guys uh, film with uh, Steven playing two characters? How does that, how does that work? Um, well, it was, uh, uh, you know, there's really um, complex ways of doing that. Um, uh gosh one of my favorite actors is eddie murphy and uh um uh, so many of the um whether it's uh you know the nutty professor or the clumps or um uh, uh so many of the films that he's done he yeah. plays multiple characters um and that's a very complex thing to do um the way that they do it uh we did it more um like steven mentioned peter sellers so peter sellers uh in the mouse that roared and a lot of the films where he played multiple characters, um, he didn't play them in the same scene for the most part. Um, or if he did play them in the same scene, he didn't play them in the same shot, right? Like um, Eddie Murphy and will we'll have a whole, um, and, and most characters that will do, um, Mike Myers is another one, that will do multiple roles and they have the technology to have the person in the, in the same shot. Um, uh, and that's very difficult, but we don't have the technology to do that. Uh, and I and I didn't want to do anything that I couldn't do well. So it's a pretty easy thing to um, to just shoot uh, and and shoot around, not have a you know a wide shot or a two shot. Uh, just shoot one character and then and then uh, the other character. And uh, I think with Stephen, we usually did it on separate days, so it's just like. Uh, um, separate times actually now that i think about it because we uh um we had different looks on him uh so he would uh so so uh we, we would just shoot from a different direction it, it, not as uh, not as fancy as it sounds <laughs> and and i acted with the uh with the uh, uh we had like a track on on the cd that i was acting i was hearing my voice as the other character and reacting with with the character that I was playing, so that that was very challenging to act with yourself because you have to know in advance what the other character is reacting to. You know, it's it's a very it's it, it took a lot of time to to um, time it and get the reactions right uh, because you can't just look at you know I'm waiting for my line. You know, it, you, you, it's got to be organic. And so and, that was part of the rehearsal. I mean, some, some of it. This is something that we did a lot. We, we did a lot of that because we did a lot of rehearsing on Zoom uh, with okay. all the characters because it was during the pandemic, right? And that was yeah. one of the reasons, why, by the way, why we decided to have Stephen, the, the very first reason why we decided to have Stephen play multiple characters because we were trying to keep the um, bubble small. Right. Uh, and it ended up, um, I mean, you know, in 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 um, one case, you know, we were like, well, how can we use an actor um, that's also in the bubble? And we used an actor that was also a member of the crew. Um, uh, so you try to do a lot of that. You just kind of think outside the box in the pandemic um, because we thought it was over. And then we started filming in, I guess, February. Uh, and then it was um, there. We'd had that last big surge and then it we were fine. We were fine. Oh, no, it's not the last big surge. There's the next last big surge. And then that's the last big surge after that. So uh, that's why the original impetus that that was the original impetus for having Stephen play multiple characters, because there's only one of him and I live with him. And I, um, you know, and he's he's in my bubble uh, and with the other actors and actresses, we didn't want to get together with them because of bubble and, and, and exposure until the day of performing, uh, the day of shooting. But we were able to do a lot of rehearsals on Zoom. And especially with the, the other lead actor, um, 
Navnur Calhoun, uh, who plays Raj in the film. Uh, gosh, we did a lot of, of rehearsals with him and we did as many as the, the actors were uh, available for and, and willing to do. And, and uh, uh, he was, um, uh, I, I don't know how many times we got together, but by the time Steven and Nav got to the set, they had run the scene so many times, it was a lot like rehearsing for a play. In fact, it was, it was like being in the second week of a play. There was no way either one of them was going to mess up a line uh, because th that was just ingrained in them. Uh, so that was a, 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 a great part of the process as well. Was it awkward uh, rehearsing through Zoom at first? Uh, I, I didn't find it awkward at all. Uh, I, I found it very rewarding because you can communicate through Zoom um, what you what you want to have happen in the scene. And then when you get to the actual location, you're not jumping into a bucket of cold water. You know what you're gonna do. And, and, and then the only thing you have to do in film is you have to mark where the characters are gonna move in relationship to the camera. And so it just became, while they were setting up the shot, we would actually, since we knew the dialogue, we would run it one or two times so we would know where we would stand or sit or whatever. And, and Nav and the entire cast were all really great at being adaptable to moving from Zoom into the space because they were all such well-trained and well-rehearsed actors. And as Chuck was saying, the key is rehearsing and knowing where you're going to move and your lines. If you don't know your material, then in film, you're sunk because you spend so much time directing or teaching. And you don't have time for that on a set because we film so many scenes in such a short period of time. So we didn't have time for any of that. So luckily, our cast was so amazing that they learned all the material in advance. What about uh, you, Chuck? Did it feel awkward at first on Zoom or not for you either? Not at all. We, uh, Stephen and I, between the two of us, had probably probably been involved in 10 theatrical productions on Zoom uh, previous to this. Um, because, again, we, uh, we, our background is theater, even though we're, we're exclusively doing film now. But we still get the phone calls and, hey, we, Stephen wrote a, fantastically funny play called Legends and Bridge. Together we wrote a play called The Green Room. I, um, during the pandemic, uh, co-wrote a children's musical with um, uh, Aaron Coleman for Circle and Square um, children's theater program in New York with uh, with a, a fantastic um, a cast and, 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 and director. And that was actually performed on Zoom. The, the actual performance, the actor's uh, rehearsed and performed on Zoom for children in all sorts of different um, uh, uh, classrooms around the area, I think. I hope I have that information right. I wasn't there. I was on Zoom. Um, but it might have been that the children were all in one room and they were seeing it on Zoom, but whatever. The actors were each in a Zoom panel. That's how it was per performed. That's how we wrote it. Um, uh, Stephen did a couple different play readings on Zoom. We did a play reading of the green room, at least one, a couple maybe, uh, on on Zoom. Um, so we had uh, we had done so much on Zoom that uh, rehearsing on Zoom. I mean, forget it. We performed on Zoom, uh, and and I directed, I music directed that show uh, on Zoom. So so Zoom is just you know like like being in the next room for us. And was. Uh... The green room, your first uh, time directing. My, mine? Yes, sir. Uh, the, actually, the um, the green room. We we never did a movie of the green room. It was on the stage, but uh, I did direct it. But it wasn't my first time directing. I'd done a lot of directing of stage before that. Um, now. Uh, the first film, though, that uh, to your point, the first film that I directed was That's Opportunity Knocking. And yes, that was my first time directing a film. 
Uh, and um, it was strangely familiar to me because I directed so much theater uh, that all of those elements are the same. At least they were the same to me. <laughs> I direct, I direct film the way I direct theater. Uh, I think a lot of film directors like to meet the actor on set and tell him where to stand and tell him where to walk and then shoot it. Um, uh, that's fine. Uh, they, you know, uh, far more successful directors than me work that way. But I have just always come from a theater, theater uh, background where you just rehearse and then three days later you rehearse again. And then the next week you rehearse twice that week. Um, uh, and I think actors love it. Actors love it because now with Zoom, they don't have to go anywhere. All we have to do is carve out a half an hour or an hour in, in, in the afternoon or the morning, twice a week. It's really easy with Zoom. So actors love doing this because they get to learn the lines again and again. And it's just so obvious they get better every time. Um, I mean, they can work on the lines, they can memorize their lines, but there's nothing like running those lines with somebody else and have hearing them come out of your mouth and hearing the other person. Um, it's it, it's a wonderfully organic way to work. Um, sorry, but uh, in terms of uh, my directing uh, debut in film, yes, it was That's Opportunity Knocking, the short film that Stephen and I did before this. Is That's Opportunity Knocking the uh, first film you had directed? Yes, uh, and that was interestingly um, uh, something that came out of a, a, a theater production. I was sitting around with some uh, folks that we had done a play at the French Theater with, and one of them told me a story. Thomas Annawalt told me a, uh, told us a story about uh, being robbed in New York, and I said that would make a great comedy film. Uh, that's that was the impetus for that. Uh, but that was um, the first thing that I ever directed on film. And then Driverless uh, was the second. With being a uh, first time film directing, uh, that's opportunity knocking. Were there setbacks that you weren't prepared for or ready for? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and I think the same could be the difference that could be said for the second film, uh, but going back to the first film, um, working with actors uh, is kind of what I've done my whole life, uh, either as being the actor who's being worked with <laughs> or, or directing. Um, to some degree, I actually worked for Deluxe Film Labs. So, I mean, I have an, an Aaron Spelling Productions. So, I mean, you know, I guess I've come at this from all sorts of different angles, but uh, but but not as a director. I mean, uh, uh, so the directing aspect of it was very much helped in the first film by Cynthia Webster, who was the producer and cinematographer of the first film um, and uh, was the person that gave me confidence to um, direct because I said, you know, I feel totally comfortable directing film, uh, excuse me, theater. I could direct an entire musical, done it before. Um, even figured out how to do the choreography and I don't dance. That is an area, it's funny, you you become confident doing what you do. But as soon as you have to step out into something else, you, you aren't sure if you can do it. And it's just ridiculous to think I couldn't be a film director when uh, I fearlessly tried to choreograph something that I, that I don't know anything about. Um, so, but it takes somebody like Cynthia at that time, who said, uh, I'll, I'm going to be the cinematographer and I'm also going to be the producer. Um, I'll fill in it, all the gaps. You just show up and direct or something like that. I don't know exactly what she said, but she, but she said, uh, you bring the skills you have um, and uh, uh, and we'll fill in all, all the gaps. Um, so uh, that was how we did that. And we did that more as a theatrical production. Most of it was done on uh, a three-wall set, if you know what I mean, with with, with like a theatrical, you know, not really a theatrical set, but uh, a three-wall set. Uh, then um, when when we actually got to filming, um, yeah, there there were just 
a, a, a thousand different challenges you run into. Um, in in uh, theater, one of the things you can't control is who the person, who the audience is looking at, or, or how close up they're looking. And you can control every bit of that in film. And then you have to make those decisions uh, with the editor and the producer in the editing room. So um, those were all challenges. Um, yeah, and and just being on the set and figuring out how it works and how you do a, a 12 hour day or a 14 hour day uh, and how you pace it out, how long you can spend on one scene before you have to move on all of that. Uh, so there were lots of, lots of those challenges. Okay. Uh, I imagine with driverless, it had been difficult in its own way to be the director and be directing yourself in essence. How how you know, you... I wasn't. I, I w actually wasn't in Driverless. I wasn't. Uh, I I was an actor in 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 Driverless. You you weren't. No. I thought you were but... the uh, boss. <laughs> oh. The... <laughs> oh well, thank you. <laughs> that's 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 interesting. Yeah. No. 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 That that uh, that was um, Will Roberts. Will oh. Roberts. Played. <laughs> Uh, I kept thinking you were you were the mean the uh, boss. <laughs> no, I, I take I take that as a compliment because he gets uh, um, he gets kind of a, a lot of suave cowboy roles and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, good. If I look like that, that's fine. I'm happy with that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever want to try to direct yourself, or you think that'd be too complicated? <laughs> nope, I have. I have no desire to do that. I mean, I would, we thought about that because there was a pandemic going on. So we thought about doing it, you know, give Steven a bunch of roles, give me a bunch of roles. We thought about doing the whole thing with just us, you know, put Steven in a dress. I don't care. Uh, but, but, uh, but ultimately we just didn't think um, we would, we would have the film we wanted. Uh, and ask your question, I would say no. Uh, I've never, as I say, I've directed a lot of stage in my life. I've never been in anything that I've directed on stage. Um, I, I am amazed by uh, Woody Allen, Christopher Guest, and some of my favorite directors can do that. Um, I think there's other directors that don't do that, and I can see why. Because you just want to see everything. Um, uh, and I, I, I need that perspective. Um, Steven, when you played uh, Quacker, that was uh, inspired off of Quacker Oats, right? The oatmeal? Um, actually, um, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the first prop that we bought for this movie was the Quaker hat. And we bought it in a shop in, um, in, um, in Solvang. And we were on like a little road trip and we bought this hat and I, I said, that's the character. And so playing, playing a Quaker, um, what I did, like I said, I'm, I, I do a lot of homework is I watched a lot of documentaries about Quakers, Shakers, people who are religious. Uh, I, I found the voice of him. Um, uh, and I, I just, I, I did a lot of rehearsing on what was his intention because, you know, in, in the film, he's trying to enroll Randy into coming into his religion. So there was like a whole thought process that went into who this character is, how he talks, how he looks. And, and, um, I, I somehow had a vintage coat a velvet coat and I also had like this old ruff that was from it was from some audition I did for some like Thomas Jefferson thing and I had like this this ruff I had the coat I had the hat we actually even toyed around with getting like a wig like a gray wig like the oatmeal guy but because of the pandemic my hair had grown out and it was like down to my shoulders and so we actually used my own hair for that shot. So that is my hair, it's not a wig. And 
we actually to shoot Randy um, like a couple of months later, we actually cut my hair and we actually saved it and made it into a wig because we needed to use Woodrow in another shot. So, so we actually have that, that actually that hair piece actually will fit onto my hair, come down to here. I put the hat on and I can be, I could show up at a film festival as Woodrow, you know, just using that costume and that hat. So it was, it was a lot of fun playing that and making the oatmeal man come to life. Yeah. Oh, I thought you did a really good job. Even though you played your um, three different characters, each one had their own voice, whereas it wasn't like you and every single one. And I imagine that had to be quite challenging to, because uh, I'm sure you kept feeling like you, uh, you had to keep making sure each person came alive and was their own. Well, you know, Terry, that's, that's the greatest compliment in the whole world to me. I mean, if, if, if people can see the character and not me, and if they can see three characters that I played and they're not, they don't think of me, that's the greatest compliment to me as a, as a comedic actor, because that means that I've done my job is to convince someone that I am a different person. And in this movie, I'm three different people. But, you know, Terry, a lot of it comes from the writing. Chuck writes such specific characters. And I guess I'm lucky because he'll write, he'll write them for me or with my voice because he knows what I can do as an actor. And he also, Chuck doesn't see any limitation in what I can do in, in terms of character. So a lot of that prep work for me is in the actual writing. And if, and if the writing is there, I can usually, I can play anything because the writing is what to me makes the character. The, the writing is sort of the skeleton. And then I get to go in and put on the muscles and the hair and the, whatever it takes to create that character. So playing three characters required me to do intense work in three different areas, but I broke it down. It wasn't like I would show up on the set and I'd be a schizophrenic. I actually got, we got to film one part one way, one part the other day and the other part the other day. So I could actually compartmentalize them all. Um, but, you know, but I'm theater trained, so to me, it's not that big of a jump. I just put on the character and trust that once I open my mouth, the homework will come through. That's that's how I play it. Okay. I, I'd be so fearful and worried that I'd have the wrong character say the wrong line. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always tell actors, if you're worried about the lines, then you need to go back to step one because knowing the lines and knowing the material and knowing your character is the key to me to great acting. Because if you're fumbling for your lines or what you're going to do on stage, it shows because you look very, at least for me, I know I look like a deer in headlights. When I don't know what I'm doing, I clam up and I get very like uh, fearful. That's why I tend to know my material forward and backwards. And and that to me is, is a great help. And that's one of the reasons as an actor, it used to really jar me when I would go to auditions because I wouldn't know the character. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I was given a little bit of a scene and given a little bit of information. And I always felt out of, out of my league, like it was hit or miss. And most time it was miss because I didn't know what I was doing. But if I know what I'm doing, I can give a great performance. Chuck, do you ever uh, 
struggle with writer's block. <laughs> he's he's laughing because because no. <laughs> oh. The answer is no. Uh, the only the only block I have is I don't have time to write all the ideas that I'm coming up with. So, um, oh, uh, our Steve, Steve and I are partners. We live together, and um, I, I in the last seven dinners at our kitchen table, I, I've probably pitched five different ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that have been uh, come up with at the dinner table. Not it's not like I wait and pitch them at dinner. It's not like, <laughs> like hey, I got him. No, it's not that. It's just you know, will be my um, all the things that I do uh, are very intense, and I am the type of person that really concentrates on whatever it is I'm doing, like uh, uh, whatever tat, whether it's preparing for directing or editing or um or 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 uh, working at you know day job or um which or, you know i do a lot of directing and uh, you know all of that i i really concentrate on and even if it's not creative i put a lot of creative energy into it so so nothing like that comes out so the only time recently that steven and i have any any time to breathe is really when we sit down at meals um and uh, I will constantly be coming up with ideas. What, what about this? What about a feature film that were this? Wait, what about a short film? Hey, do we ever think about, you know, and so our kitchen table is uh, by the end of the week littered with little yellow post-its <laughs> I wrote down. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Stephen gets tired of that, but then he's the same way in, in his way because he, he's constantly up at 5 a.m. every morning, at least. Uh, I'll let him take that. How your your creative process, dude? Well, I I I write every day. I'm not a lot of ideas. Don't Chuck Chuck is like he has like ideas popping into his head all the time. I'm more I'm slower. My ideas are like I get an idea and I'll flesh it out and uh, hone it and and uh, you know I'm more slower or or I'll take one of Chuck's ideas. And I'll like riff on it and I'll think about it and I'll muse about it. Um, so I, I write more, I, I'm, I write more daily. I write every single day. I write three pages in the morning. I write, try to write a little bit of fiction or nonfiction in the day. Um, but my process is more uh, methodical and more drawn out. And I think that's why Chuck and I make such a good team because I'm really good at writing the full long thing and Chuck will come up with idea, 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 idea. And we sort of mesh them together, you know, and, and we, we have, we create a really good, strong voice, comedic voice together. Cause we'll be sitting at the kitchen table and we'll Chuck will say, I have an idea for this. And I'll go, well, what about this line? And this character can say this, cause that's what I'm really great. I'm like, I'm great at like, putting myself into the role of the characters and ripping on them. So that, that's why one of the reasons we make such a good team and have such a, <clears throat> pardon me, such a strong voice together. And I'll say some, one other thing about writer's block that uh, I am very lucky about uh, that uh, like every day, at least one time every day, I'll come up with an idea or something and I'll write it down. I'll write it down in my notes on my iPhone or, or on a post-it. Uh, but I, I make films. That's what I really want to do right now. But I also am a songwriter. Like I wrote a song for this film. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the theater bug hasn't totally left me yet. So there's, there's lots of different um, ways that I can express myself. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'll even occasionally write an essay. So when I come up with an idea, when I'm inspired by something, then I have to look at the idea and the idea tells you whether it's a feature film or it's a series or it's a song or it, maybe it's an essay or maybe it's a documentary um, uh, or, 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 or maybe it's a, it's, it's a play or, or a musical, you know, because even though I don't, 
I want to really write films. That's what I want to do. But you don't always have the choice because the idea, if an idea comes to me and it's a song, well, I have to sit down and write a song. I wrote a song last week uh, and played it for Steven. And I'll probably never do anything with that song, but that was what it was. It, it was its own. It's this idea that pops up and goes, I'm a song, I'm a song. If I tried to make that into something else, it wouldn't be the same. I think that's one of the problems uh, that I see in... Um, uh, in modern uh, uh, TV and film uh, because a lot of times they try to take an idea which would be a great feature film and they try to make a series out of it. And then it goes one season and then another season and then season three. So oftentimes you see season three is where it dies. And if two or three is where the, the show died, it was a feature film. <laughs> you you got that one wrong. Um, uh, and the other thing's true too. Um, uh, and many people have come up to me uh, about different projects. You know, oh, this would make a great boom. And I'm like, no, no, that's, what, that's not true. That's not how I see it anyway. I see this as this. Um, would Driverless make a great feature film? Sure. I think it'd make a great feature film. If 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 I had the money, I would have written his feature script. Uh, but I knew that I could, uh, This I wanted this to be my last short film. Uh, after this, I want to make feature films. And um, if somebody... Uh, wants to come up with the uh, funding and walk up to me and say, I want to make a feature film out of this. I would be like, great. I think it, it, it wants to be a feature film, but it doesn't want to be a song and it doesn't want to be a series and it doesn't want to be an essay. It is what it is. The idea tells you what it is. Well, uh, would you guys, how'd you guys meet? We, we met, um, I was actually working at um, at a, um, a a doctor's office, actually. In, and I was working. I was and, working at Air Spelling in the in the same building. Go ahead. In, in the in the SAG building, which is on Wilshire, and I was leaving one day out of the the building, and Chuck was coming in to the building, and he opened the door for me and said hi, and I said hi, and we went out to the fountain and we talked. And here we are. Now we're <laughs> partners and filmmakers, and we've been together for a long time, and that, that's how we met. In fact, I was starting a theater company at the time, and Chuck was like, you're starting a theater company? I mean, I was barely 30 years old, and I was starting a, my own theater company, and Chuck was, like, really, I guess, inspired by that because that's been, like, the catalyst for so much of our art was that theater company i mean the our musical the green room came out of that my my show legends and bridge came out of that and so that was sort of the counter powder keg of of us getting together creatively but we also at the same time got together um as partners so that's how we met and i was in a rock band at the time uh or a, a kind of folk rock band Gosh, was that the band? I forget which band. Um, but uh, Stephen said, what do you, what do, you do? Um, I said, well, I'm a writer, I'm, uh, but more than anything right now, I'm a songwriter. I was working for Aaron Spelling, but I was working for Aaron Spelling um, in the marketing department. And uh, so I said, uh, I'm a songwriter. And he said, sing something for me. And the, we were standing in the plaza right next to the fountain outside that building at 57 57 wilshire i think it is um and 5700 wilshire the sag building uh and so he said sing to me and so i think 99 people out of 100 would have said not right here <laughs> but i'm the guy that's like okay so i sang him two lines of uh of a song that i'd written for a children's musical for for, for uh this children's musical right over here actually the boy who's awesome. still um, and uh, so I sang him two lines of that song. And 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 that turned out to be his audition and his callback. <laughs> and, uh, I, cast, <laughs> I cast him immediately as the leading man in my life and in my creative project. So, you know, so his singing went over very well. Since you guys are both comedians, do you guys ever... Uh, prank each other? 
constantly. I mean, not prank. I don't know if you mean prank like uh, um, like a physical prank. Not so much that, but but constantly like verbally. Um, I mean, well, we're just always riffing. We're just always, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, I'll be coming in the room and maybe be irritated by something. And instead of Steven saying, oh, that's too bad that you're irritated about that, he will have a like Cockney accent. What? What? That happened? You know, and, and I will immediately answer him in a Cockney accent or whatever. Or Steven's from Texas, so it'll be a Texas accent. Or, well, you know, what? we just well, constantly morphing into characters. And, uh, and it makes life, which is quite hard. <laughs> if no, if if any of your viewers didn't know that, um, especially right now in life in America in 2022, life is pretty hard. But we end up laughing through it somehow. I don't know. Uh, we just are constantly riffing, constantly saying funny things. He'll be um, popping into some character, and it'll be a character that he's played like 47 different times, like Liza Minnelli or something. Somebody he's always making fun of, or. Or, or, or paying homage to, whatever. Not making fun of, he loves my Les Minnelli. But he'll, he'll, he'll do all these characters and every time he'll say something funny <laughs> and something new that he's never said before. He's probably done Liza for me in the in the kitchen. A th I, I wanna say a thousand times, maybe not, but hundreds uh, in the 22 years that we've been together. And, and just last week he said something and I just started cracking up. I was like, you did not just say that. Because it's just so random. I don't remember what it was, but um, so constantly riffing. And then in terms of pranks, yeah, uh, I'll I'll constantly say, uh, like we we um, uh, are, are constantly doing that too. You know, saying something and making making somebody believe. Oh, you thought that? Uh, you know, so verbally, yes. What uh, what's a feature film, or what's your next project you'd like to work on, or? Do you not know what it is yet? <laughs> well, there are a bunch of them. I'll, I'll let Stephen. I'll let Stephen take what what. Uh, um, there's one idea that we think we can uh, afford to uh, can't afford to make, but we can get funding for real easily because it would be an easy make. But before he before he answers that question, I'll just say um, we've written I don't know how many screenplays together. Um, but then on top of the screenplays, we must have a hundred. I mean, I've got a binder of a hundred treatments of just mine. And then he's got his own thing. And then we've got the stuff that we do together. So um, and, and, and the chaff sort of falls away and the and the cream rises to the top. And those are the ones that we talk about all the time. Uh, and we'll get one of us will get a new idea. Oh, you know, on that project, we were talking about about those young guys in Canada what if we blank, you know? Um, and so we'll constantly be riffing off those things. So it's hard to tell what the next project will be because, um, I mean, St Stephen will, will answer this question too. Uh, but what we don't know is now that we've made two short films, we really want to take it to the next level and find a, um, you know, money bags producer that uh, wants, wants to, make some money off a film so we want to make a film that makes money and who whomever that producer is uh will have you know a say in that so i want to make whatever project we have and, and there are several that are really good uh but i want to make whatever project we have that a producer um believes could make money but we do but steven you take the you take this question from there well uh, like Chuck said, we have a lot of different projects, but uh, we have a project that uh, will feature me and feature a lot of Chuck's songs, which will be the best of both worlds, and that's called The Little Johnny Dumpling Show. And uh, in that show, I would play a, um, a, a former child star who's running a, um, a, um, a D-list uh, uh cable access show out of like some small little studio somewhere and he like has high hopes and you know probably not so much talent um but he has like all these goofy characters around him it's sort of like waiting for guffman meets hee-haw that old tv show it's sort of a variety show 
Carol Burnett type of thing. So if we could find funding for that, we would film that because that could be done on one or two locations with a small crew and, um, you know, the cast that we assemble, which would be, you know, from our casting pool. So that, that would be a viable project, but we have many other scripts that we mainly comedies that we've written. We, we have one called club, which is about a bunch of cavemen, uh, you know, we we have uh, everybody wants to kill somebody. We have endless. Uh, we have one called um, uh, Glamour Please, which is about a bunch of women at a fat farm. So we have a bunch of different material that we have that we could actually make in the uh, feature films if we had the funding. All right. Well, uh I thank both of you guys for your time today and thank you for coming on. Thank you, Terry. It's been great being on your show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.